This is the Life Church Podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Nice sunny day out. Not, not warm, but sunny at least, right? And you know, this is our 10th year doing Servolution Thanksgiving. I was actually commenting, amen, amen. I was actually commenting, commenting to somebody before service, uh, second service here, that I remember this almost got thwarted our first time, if you remember. We, we were supposed to do, we do canvassing beforehand where we basically go out and, and pass these cards out and then hope that they get it back to us and that's how we come up with the recipients of who are going to be receiving this, uh, this Thanksgiving meal. And so the first time we were ever going to do this, we were supposed to meet at, we were, at that time, we were, the church was meeting at the Corville Rec Center. We were supposed to meet in the parking lot on a Saturday and then go out and, and hand out, you know, these cards and, you know, and whatnot. But um, it started snowing that morning. And so I got a little bit concerned about it. And so I called Adam, who at that time was kind of working with us and really spearheading this. I said, hey, Adam, uh... It's snowing. I think we should probably just call it off today. And of course, Adam, of course, you know, I, 10 years ago, I was only three years away from be, having been in California, right? So Southern California, that, that matter. So, you know, snow was a big deal still. And so Adam's like, exactly words. He says, it's Iowa. We can walk in snow. <laughs> that was his comment, <laughs> which is a good thing because now 10 years later, look what God is doing. It's so, fa- so fantastic. Amen. God is good. Yep. All right. So I want to encourage you. Pastor Chris is going to come up here in a few minutes after, after I speak, and he's going to kind of give instructions. So I encourage all of you, you know, just jump in. Be a part of this. You will be blessing families today. They're expecting you. They're excited about this. They're thankful, and you get to be a part of it. You have been a part of it. And so thank you so much for your generosity. Today, I just want to speak about leaving your mark. Leaving your mark. I don't know if you realize this, but every single one of us have a unique fingerprint given by God. Whether you're rich or poor, young or old, whether you're, you know, whatever, whatever your status of life is, no matter what it is, there is a unique, there's a unique fingerprint that you have. There's nobody alike in this world like you. And that means that every, t- every time you, you touch something, I touch my screen, there is a, I am making, I am leaving my mark on that screen, on that table, on that person. That's in a very literal way, but what I want to talk to you today about is, in a, in a more metaphorical way, how you are leaving your mark. I read a book earlier this year by a guy named Erwin McManus, a pastor of a church in Southern California. Uh, he wrote a book called The Last Arrow, which is kind of a, actually kind of a prophetic book in many ways because he wrote the book, and then, um, and then he, he penned his last chapter, had a meeting, was, was scheduled to have a meeting with uh, the publishing company, but before, on his way to that meeting with the publishing company, he first had to go to a doctor's appointment where the doctor came back and told him that he had cancer. And so as he was sitting there, he was realizing the book's subtitle is Leave Nothing for the Next Life. In other words, spend your life for God in this life. Don't reserve it for some time, other future heaven. You know, how we oftentimes navigate life is I'm going to live it for myself now, and then when I get to heaven, I'll worship God all, every day. But it doesn't work that way. We worship God in the here and now. 
We spend our life for him now, and we get to reap the rewards later. And so that's really the, 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 the idea of this book. And so captioned in this book where he says this, the great tragedy that I have witnessed over and over again is that we keep underestimating, hear this, we keep underestimating how much God wants to do in us and through us. We, we shoot low. Or sometimes we think God can't use me or is not doing anything in me. Too many of us have believed the lies we have been told, that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not talented enough, we're just not enough. One of the facets of God that makes him extraordinary, what makes God extraordinary, is his ability to do the impossible through the ordinary. He uses you and me. You and me. He uses... The ordinary, the everyday, the common people like you and me. That's what makes God extraordinary. That's why we link up with God. That's why we do church. That's why we come here every single Sunday morning. It's because we are binding our arms together with God. Say, God, will you use us? We know that, God, if you're for us, who can be against us? That's the idea behind it. There are people in this world that have made their mark. And when you think about that, you think of people like Billy Graham. You think of people like Mother Teresa or George Washington. There are other people who've also made their mark, like Hitler and Charles Manson and Saddam Hussein, and they've made their mark in a different way, in a very negative, destructive way. All of these people I just mentioned, they were influencers. They influence other people. They influence somebody else. And I think sometimes we don't think we are, Right? Like, we tell ourselves, I'm not an influencer, and I understand that. I, it's, I probably don't tell myself that because I stand here every Sunday morning trying to influence you, knowing that that's part of my job is to try to influence you. But I think on a very human level, though, we walk around wondering, do I really, am I really meaning, do, do I have any kind of meaning or significance in this life? Am I really doing a good job with my kids? Am I really doing a good job with my spouse? Am I really doing a good job for God in this world? Am I really influencing anybody? Oftentimes we think of ourselves that way. But you need to understand something, that you are an influencer. For the good or the bad, you are an influencer right now, where you sit. Do you believe that? There's a woman right now that none of you really know. She lives in Cedar Hill, Texas. She retired several years ago after 40 years of being a secretary. Um, you know, she's, she's never been published in any way. She's never been featured in a magazine or in a news article. She's not famous at all. But make no mistake about it. Amelia Irene Villalta, that's my mother's name, made an impact in this world. I've got a picture of, of her up here. Well, it's a picture of a few ladies up here. <laughs> They're not all my mom. <laughs> but all the way to the left, there's my aunt. Her name is Fina, Josefina. They, that's her name. And then my mom right next to her. Uh, again, Irene, we call her. Uh, and her aunt, my great aunt, is Lidiette, the old lady, and then her daughter, Rosalva, and then my other aunt, uh, Dalila, and then my cousin, Marta. And they're from Costa Rica. That's where my family originally came from, is Costa Rica. Um, they made an impact. Or my mother made an impact in my life. In 1980, I don't, 
I don't know how many pictures to show you, but in 1980, my mother, a single mom uh, with five sons, ranging between the ages of 17 down to, I don't know, three or four years old, my youngest brother, and uh, my mom made the decision to basically uproot her life in Panama and to, and to head to immigrate to the United States. Uh, the courage that, you know, now I think about that, the courage that that would have taken to basically leave everything behind, quit your job with no future job prospect, with no assurance that everything was going to turn out okay. There was none of that. But she, she, she had this determination to give her, her five boys a better life. And so she made her way up here, and, and we have been able to have a better life. I learned a lot from my mom. I learned that one of the things about my mom is that she's a fighter. My mom's a fighter. I, like, literally a fighter. <laughs> okay? Okay, she really is. I told you, I've said this before. We used to call her La, la General, the general, you know, because she had to raise five boys by herself. But my mom, I'm like, one day, I remember my brother, Alan, who's the middle brother. I don't have a picture of him. But my, my middle brother, Alan, he, he came home, and he would just come home crying because there's a little, another boy in the, in the town, in the neighborhood that we lived in. His name was Nandito, and Nandito always used to be, beat my little brother up. He was a bully in the, in the area, 10 years old, you know? And my brother was like 10 as well. And so my brother would come home crying all the time because Nandito was beating him up, and then one day my mom just had it. She literally had it. She grabbed Alan by the hand, walked outside, says, you go fight with him right now. <laughs> she, she didn't do what they do today. You know, like, let's go talk to the parents and say, hey, why are you, your, your child is being a bully? That's not what she did. She basically found Nandito in the park, took Alan up there and says, fight him now. I'm not leaving till you fight him now. Uh, Mom, I'm, I know you're probably watching this online. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm saying this, I'm embarrassing you, but yeah, that's what she, she's a fighter. One, I've seen, I've witnessed my mom, I've witnessed my mom beat down a would-be purse snatcher because she had her whole check in her purse and that day he, it was weird, kind of in a rough neighborhood there in Panama, he grabbed her purse and he started dragging her on the ground. She finally got up and she pulled that purse off and she just beat the guy down. He's like, you will not take Food off my kid's table. That's kind of the idea she had. She's a fighter. And I learned that from my mom. I learned what it means to fight for things that are important. My mom's not a quitter. Irene, in her life, has received more than her share of suffering and abuse and hardship. She was abused by her husband, my dad. Uh, she was taken for granted by, oftentimes, by us five boys. We didn't realize how much she actually was or was contributing in life, you know, and how hard she was working for us, and we would take that for granted. Um, we lived with my grandmother, and my mom and my grandmother kind of were raising this, these five boys, and my mom could have easily just thrown up her arm and said, you know what, Grandma or Abuelita, you take care of them. I'm gone. I'm out of here. They don't respect me. My husband never respects me. I'm, I'm going to go after the life that I want. She could have easily done that. But there was this nagging value that she had in her head. Never quit. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And so she never gave up. And I learned that from my mom. Sometimes that's something that is a value that I have. In fact, if you ask my wife, sometimes it's to my detriment. I will not quit. Sometimes I just need to let the mechanic do it. 
right? Not me. I've already spent way too much time trying to do it myself, but I won't quit. I won't quit. Another thing I learned from my mom is that she believed that you can be great. She really believed in people, believed that they can be great. I was a little dreamy-eyed young teenager. My, when, I was a, when, we were like, when I was in junior high and I would you know, do something that I shouldn't do, my, this is my, puni- my punishment. This is the punishment my, my grandmother or my mom would give to us. Okay, you can't go out until, uh, here's an eight, eighth grader, right? You can't go out, leave the house. You've got to sit at this t- table and you've got to read the encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> that was punishment. And uh, like literally, we'd have to sit at the table with an encyclopedia on it. And so what does an eighth grader do when there's an encyclopedia in front of him? He looks for pictures, you know? So I'm looking for pictures in the encyclopedia. And I'd find these interesting pictures and I'd start reading the caption or I'd start reading the, the text there and I'd realize, wow. And I'd say things to, to my mom like, mom, I think I want to be a U.S. senator. <laughs> I was in eighth grade, right? Or I, I think I want to be a rancher. I want, I'd see these Western pictures, and I thought, man, this is just amazing. It's glamorous. I just want to be a rancher. And I didn't realize how hard they had to work. But anyways, I want to be a rancher. Or I'm going to be an astronaut. I had all these dreamy ideas that would come up. And you know what my mom would always say every single time? Son, you can be whatever you want if you work hard enough. She really believed, and she believed that. So make no mistake about it, despite the fact that you don't really know who my mom is, she made an impact in this world. And you're making an impact in this world. So let me ask you this morning, are you aware? Are you aware of that? Are you aware that you're an influencer? That right now, even where you're sitting where you are right now, right now, you are influencing somebody. In fact, most of you, one of the, just a side note, most of you are sitting here and you're influencing people that know you to put God first in their life because you're here. You're saying, hey, I, I, God, is, God is important to me. I want to be here. You're influencing children. You're influencing your colleagues at work. You're influencing people around you in many different ways, hopefully for the good, but oftentimes we could do it for the bad as well. Are you aware that you're making your mark? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jonathan and his young armor bearer. It's a story, it's a story that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm not going to really actually read the whole text because it's kind of a lengthy text and we have some work to do, some influencing to do after service. So uh, give you a little bit of the Reader's Digest version of it. Um, the Philistines were at war with Israel. In fact, the Philistines were the perennial enemies of Israel. Every year there was war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And they would fight battles, and then the winter would come, and they would go away. And then when the springtime came back, there was more battles. You know, that just happened year after year after year. This particular year, though, the Philistines had the upper hand. They had managed to disarm the entire people of Israel, took all their weapons. In fact, Saul's army basically deserted him because they had no weapons. So they ran to the hills. They, ran in, they were hiding out in caves. They were hiding out in wells because they had been completely disarmed by the Philistines. Saul was left with only 600 men. And so he's going from village to village, hiding out from the Philistines. He ends up in this place called Migran. And there in Migran, there's 600 guys with him. No, all, no, none of his soldiers have weapons. Only him and his son Jonathan have a, have a, have a weapon. And they're facing this Philistine army. In fact, this is what it says about the Philistine army. 
uh, chapter 13, verse 5, says, The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots. Now remember, 600 soldiers unarmed against 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of the sand on the seashore. In other words, this was an impossible situation. I don't know if you've ever faced that. Maybe you've felt that. I'm certain that there are some of you in this room that you look at your life and you see this is an impossible situation. There's no way to overcome this. There's no way to get past this. We will not be able to win this battle. And that's how they were feeling. But then you have Jonathan who wakes up in the middle of the night with this compulsion to go pick a fight with the Philistines. He had no data. He had nothing solid to stand on. But he feels this idea, this, this, this notion that I've got to go and, and because something must be done. I mean, we're the people of God. How can this possibly be happening to us? So something must be done. So he gets up and he's going to go pick a fight with the Philistines. It's, it's not that he had some kind of overwhelming promise. It's not like God woke him up in the middle of the night and says, Jonathan, I am with you. Go and kill all your enemies. It's not, what he, it's not how it went. He just got up. He kind of entered this with this mixture of faith and uncertainty. I think all of us have found ourselves in that place at sometimes, having faith but not being sure. Okay, God, I really know that you, I know you can, but I'm, will you? Right? That's what it says here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to, the, to where the Philistines have, have their outpost." But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing, probably because his dad would have said, you're crazy, you're not going to go, right? Verse 6, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will, okay, so I've read this verse so many times, and I've always, I stop and I think, perhaps, really? (laughs) This is kind of, this is like shaky ground, I've, over the years, this is one of my favorite passages, so I've, I've preached out of this passage several times. And over the years, I've, I've said things like, you know, maybe we should make some t-shirts here at Life Church that say, Life Church on the back and on the front says, perhaps the Lord will help us. <laughs> That's really faith-inspiring, isn't it? I mean, you just know that you're going to conquer enemies with that, with that slogan, perhaps the Lord will help us. But this is exactly what Jonathan is saying, perhaps the Lord will help us. For, and then he kind of shifts into this faith gear. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I mean, what was going on in Jonathan's head? I think it was what we often go through. God, I know you're great. God, I know you're powerful. God, I know you can do all things. For nothing is impossible for you. I know that, God. But will you do anything for me? That's oftentimes where we get stuck, isn't it? We're not sure. And so we say, like Jonathan, perhaps. Perhaps the Lord's going to help us. And his armor bearer responds, do what you think is best. The armor bearer replied, I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. So he gets his armor bearer and kind of brings him along in this place, to this place of adventure and, and uncertainty. Now I wonder how many times we have been at that place. We, there's this great adventure to be lived there's this life of influence to be lived. We're just not sure. We're not sure if God's with us. We're not sure if God's going to favor us. We're not sure if God's going to make it happen for us. We just, but we know we need to go that way, but we're just not sure. 
And too many of us, unfortunately, get paralyzed by that uncertainty. And we sit back and we do nothing. I mean, Jonathan could have easily said, look, God, I'm willing, I'm willing, but you're going to have to do your part. We need a few more weapons. We need a few more soldiers. And once you do that, then we'll go fight. We don't even need 3,000 chariots. We just need, you know, a couple hundred or maybe a thousand soldiers and weapons. And we'll try this out. And I think oftentimes we fall into that trap. We sit back and we think that, we think that God is going to do something if we had more money, if we had more resources, if we had more people. Then God's going to do something. All Jonathan really had was influence. And that's oftentimes where we find ourselves. It's all we really have is influence. I mean, he had God on his side, but he had influence. He had influence over this life of this young armor bearer. And the two of them won a great victory that day. See, it's in these moments that we realize that the material that God uses to shape human history is not money, it's not resources, it's not, you know, talent and abilities. The stuff that God uses to shape human history is people, humans like you and me. That's what God uses. In fact, that's what God's going to do today is he's going to use you, no matter what your background is, no matter what your, where you come from or you know, how talented you are, how educated you are, as you carry that red bag around, you are an influencer. You're influencing lives. So what if, here's a question to ponder, what if the sum total of your God-sized life, what if the sum total of your God-sized life is to influence one person? It sounds like a waste of life, doesn't it? There's a story about this Anglican priest who, who took a church in, in Wales in 1807. Young guy, hadn't been in ministry before, takes his church, he starts preaching every Sunday like they normally do, starts doing pastoral duties like they normally do. And, but the, the reality is that this guy wasn't a very good preacher. And so the church had some marginal growth, but not really very exciting growth, you know. And so a year later, the pulpit committee called him in and said, hey, you know, we don't think that you're really cut out for this. We don't think that really this is the job that you should be doing. We think you should go back to your former, you know, line of work and pursue that instead. And so this young priest is like, wait a minute, but, but you know, there's good things happening. God is doing things in this church. I mean, like, look at, look at young Bobby. He's 12 years old, and he's decided that he wants to go into ministry. And so the pulpit committee heard that, and they scoffed at him. They were indignant. They were like, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that, that all you have to show for this year of ministry is this young boy who wants to go into ministry? That's nothing. That's pitiful. And so they fired him. Got rid of them. What this uh, pulpit committee failed to see was that was really the power of influence of one person over another, and what God can do through people. A little twelve-year-old boy, his name was Bobby Moffat, Robert Moffat. Some of you know him as Robert Moffat. Went off to Africa, became what they call the apostle to Africa, a missionary in Africa. Robert Moffat had a daughter by the name of Mary who, while he was in Africa, met a young single man come traveling through by the name of David Livingston. You might have heard of David Livingston. And they got married. And David Livingston says this about Bobby Moffat, Robert Moffat. He says, the most influential man in my life 
who gave me the passion for missions, who was inspired by a nameless Anglican priest who was considered a failure. Listen, you have influence. You have influence. You have influence. You never know how you're influencing somebody. So what does it mean to make your mark? What does that mean to make your mark? Well, first of all, you need to recognize that you are an influencer. You're making your mark in this world whether you like it or not. That's important to understand that. Because a lot of us think that we can, we can uh, compartmentalize our life. Like I'm, you know, okay, God, I love you and everything, but I'm going to put that in this little compartment over here, and I'll reserve that for Sunday mornings at church. And then I have my other compartments of life. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. But you need to understand that all of your life is an influence. And however, it doesn't matter how you compartmentalize your life. The reality is, is that you are influencing other people around you for the good or for the bad. We need to come to terms with that. You need to recognize that and you need to make a decision that, God, I want to be used by you to influence people around me. In Matthew 7, there's this amazing transition verse between the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And verse, it says in verse 28, <clears throat> when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And that word authority, one of the translations of that word is influence. He taught as one who had influence and not as their teachers of the law. The people are listening to him and, they, and they're listening to the rabbis all the time and they're thinking, wait a minute, you know, I don't know if I should follow these guys. I don't know if I should listen to these guys. They weren't very influential in these people's lives, maybe because of their hypocrisy, maybe because of a lot of different things, but they found in Jesus something very different. He was magnetic. From that point on, his ministry started. From that point on, he was followed everywhere. Crowds followed him. Why? Because Jesus understood that his role, his place in life was to influence other people. Is there somebody like that in your life? Who can you point to as a person that influences you to be a better person, to be a better dad or a a better parent, a better husband or a better wife? A better coworker. Is there somebody that's influencing you? Certainly there is, right? Let me flip that question. Who are you influencing? Actually, you are influencing somebody. Maybe the, the better question is, how am I influencing? How am I influencing my sons who are watching me every day? How am I influencing my daughter? How am I influencing my colleagues at work? How am I influencing my, you know, my, my friends? See, if you plan on leaving your mark, you need to look at this thing called influence and take it seriously. Recognize that you are, that you're, that you're being used by God, hopefully in very good ways to influence people around you. Second way we make our mark is by focusing on things that really matter. There's a series of passages found in the gospel that are called the must passages, M-U-S-T, quote unquote, must. Um, The must passage, Jesus said this many times, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to your house. The son of man must, must suffer. That's, you know, these are the different must passages in the gospels. And every one of those come with passion, with this, with this deep fervor, with this deep focus. They felt 
He, Jesus understood that he had to influence. He was focused in on something. There was this target that he was going after. He must do this. That's what it reveals. That he was on a mission for God. And just like, just like Jesus was, so are we. We need to focus on things that really matter. It's so easy to get caught up in the patterns of this world where we think that just you know, getting as wealthy as we can is the most important thing in the world to do. Or you know, marrying that guy or marrying that girl, that's the most important thing to do. But the truth is that there are things that are really, really, really important that really matter in this world, right? I think raising your kids with an awareness of God is really, really important. How are you doing with that? I think fighting injustice and helping the less fortunate is really important. In fact, that's one of our, it's a value that we have around here. That's why you see those red bags. It's because that's exactly how we feel. We're fighting injustice and helping the less fortunate. I think learning to live in intimacy with Christ is really, really important. It matters. We should focus in on the things that are important. Another way we, we make our, our market is by investing in the future. <clears throat> investing in the future. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had 12 disciples? Do you think it's because he needed somebody to carry his luggage around? <laughs> I, need, I need some disciples to carry my luggage. <laughs> or he had this complex, you know, he just had to boss somebody around, so he had to, tell, he had to have somebody around to tell, him what, tell them what to do. You know, I think the reason Jesus, and I believe this wholeheartedly, I think the reason Jesus had 12 disciples is because he could see into the future. Because he knew that for the kingdom of God to continue on, right in front of him, even though they were raw fishermen, right in front of him was the material that was going to change the world. He knew that. He saw that. So he invested in the future. A couple years ago, I, I found out where my, my very first youth pastor was living. I had kind of lost contact with him for 20 plus years, and and, uh, and so he was instrumental in me coming to the Lord when I was young. I, I, uh, I, in fact, I accepted Jesus, and then the pastor, who I, when I accepted Jesus in this pastor's arms, the pastor then handed me off to Kim Kelly, who was this, the youth pastor. Says, hey, here's Richard. He just gave his life to Christ. You should, you should disciple him. You know? And so Kim started pouring his life into my life at that time. I got a picture of Kim back 1980. Uh, yeah, see, that's Kim on the left, and that's his brother on the right. The style is coming back, by the way, just so you know. It's just 1980. <laughs> the woolly mammoth style. Um, today, Kim is a children's pastor in, in Orlando, Florida. And I've got a picture of that, too. That's him up there. And he's surrounded by the, children's, uh, the children of this children's ministry there. And they're, they're loving on him. They're, there was a, like a, a kind of an appreciation day or something going on that day. And uh, to this day, he still is investing in the future. He's committed to investing in other people, right? So I, I wrote him an email. I, I, asked, I let him know that I was thankful for, for you know, all the time that he had invested in me and the things he had done for me. Now, Kim was crazy. He invested in me in a lot of ways. He taught me a lot of great things. He also taught me a lot of not so good things to do. Like uh, one day he volunteered me, by the way, I didn't even ask for this, but he volunteered me for a work day at church. That was part of the discipleship process. It was like, uh, hey, Ricky, that's what they called me back there. Hey, Ricky, um, what are you doing Saturday? I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to go, you know, have some fun. He's like, 
Uh, nothing. What are, you, what are you doing? He says, come to the church. We're going to do some, some work at church. And so it was his work day at church, right? And so we loaded the back of his truck with a bunch of trash from the church, you know. And then he's like, we've got to go to the dump and dump this stuff. You're going to come with me, Ricky. So I got in the truck. So we got all the way to the dump. And he said, man, it was a lot of work getting it in the truck. It's going to be a lot of work getting it off the truck as well. So he literally kind of pulled off about 100 yards away from the dump part where we are going to dump this. He pulled off about 100 yards away. He put the thing in reverse. <laughs> And then he's like, started zooming backwards, like 60 miles an hour, and then he slammed on his brakes. Most of it came out, but we didn't stop in time. We slammed into the back of this. It was, it was, yeah, it was not a good idea. It was not a good thing. So I learned a lot of great things from Kim Kelly and not, a, not, not so good things from Kim Kelly. Anyways, I sent him this email, and this is what he sent back to me. This will tell you a little bit about Kim. Well, howdy do, Richard. That's how he started this email. It's been eons. I have thought of you occasionally and wondered how things have gone. I knew you were a missionary, but that was the last of any real knowledge I had in any phase of life. <laughs> and he tells me a little bit about his family and stuff. He says, your email was a real blessing. Thanks so much. It's so good to hear those kind of things where I was basically thanking him for, his, for what he had done in my life. It helps always to remind me of why ministry to young people is so vital, why investing in the future is so important. I'm still trying to learn more effective ways to equip parents to have a significant role in their own children's faith and training. Other than that, we're living a great life of marriage with kids that love Jesus and an occasional blessing such as your letter. Thanks, Richard. Hope to see you soon, Kim Kelly. Did Kim know back in 1980 that he was investing in God's kingdom when he spent time with me? I don't know. I think sometimes we walk through life and we don't always think about those things. Here's some things I've learned along the way. It's actually an acronym. Uh, it's not my own. I, I found it. But uh, it's an acronym of BELIEVE. In fact, I've learned this from Kim Kelly. I've learned it from different people. I learned it from my wife, Christy, who has this, has this, this idea as well of believing in people. It was like this. First, believe in them before they succeed. Believe in them before they succeed. If you ever want to influence somebody for the positive, you're going to have to believe in them before the, you see success. Now, we understand that naturally with kids, don't we? Like a child that starts to, he's starting to learn how to walk and he falls flat on his face. You don't sit there at that, you know, whatever, one-year-old and say, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Can't you walk? You don't do that, Right? Because you believe that the one day they're going to walk. So you believe in them before they succeed. Emphasize their strengths. Again, it's easy for us to see the weaknesses of another person and always talk about them, to always point them out. But an influencer emphasizes the strengths of that person. List their past successes. Remind them of how God has been for them, how God has worked in their behalf. Instill confidence when they fail. So when they fail, when your daughter puts her head, on your, her head on your shoulder and starts crying because she's made a mistake, just instill confidence in them. Let them know that, hey, it's not the end of the world. You can make it. Experience some wins together. You're going to have to do things together, help them win together. Visualize their future success, and then expect a new level of living. I need to go through this quickly because we're out of time. Listen, you are making a mark. Let's all stand. You're making an impact. Whether you like it or not, you're influencing somebody. And today, 
today, you're going to leave this, this building. You're going to stand in line. You're going to grab some bags. You're going to get some vouchers. There's going to be some turkeys that these people are going to be grabbing at some point. And you're going to go from door to door. And it might seem like, wow, we're just kind of just delivering groceries. That's all we're doing. But I think about that. And I remember Sister Sleep when I was a lost kid on drugs would show up at my house and pick us up and take us to church. Seemed ordinary thing to do. I remember Sister Sleep coming when she saw how difficult circumstances were for Irene Villalta and her five boys and living in government subsidized apartments and not a whole lot to eat. <laughs> she brought groceries. I, I was those recipients that you're going to be serving today. And I think about that, and I think it influenced me even back then. So you might think that all you're doing is delivering groceries, groceries but I, I'm going to beg to differ. You're actually influencing right now. Whether it's the people you're giving the groceries to, whether it's your children who are watching you do it and making that an important thing, whether it's to yourself, you're an influencer. Amen? Father, I want to thank you this morning for your goodness, your grace. I thank you, Father, for, for what your kingdom is going to experience in this day. As individuals take away their selfish desires and their selfish needs and decide to grab a few bags and decide to step out of their comfort zone and meet a few people at the door and just love them in Jesus' name. Father, I ask you right now to make us influencers to help us leave our mark for the good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is the Life Church Podcast. 